Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father God, we're thankful for this time of year. And we're thankful for the words that John recorded, that you inspired him to record in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. God, I thank you that you broke the darkness by sending Jesus to this world. And God, we're so thankful today that what we celebrate over these next few days is not just a great story. It's not a parable. It's not something that we see on TV or in a play. But God, this was a real story of you reaching down to mankind to save us from our sins. And God, we thank you for sending Jesus the everlasting light. This morning, Father, as we continue to talk about that everlasting light, I pray for those who walked in here today who may be doubters and skeptics. God, I, I pray that today would be the day that they come to believe and come to put their trust in you. And God, especially for those who are here today who are already Christ followers, I pray that today will be a day that you challenge us to do something different this year to be a light in our dark world. God, thank you so much for the birth of Christ. God, I thank you that you broke through the darkness and you sent Jesus to be our everlasting light. Guide us into, whole, into truth and wisdom, Holy Spirit, this morning. May we not be distracted and may my words be yours and not mine. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. Hope you're doing well as we head into the week of Christmas. I know there's a lot going on. I'm sure that you have a lot going on. I want to just remind you and invite you to our Christmas Eve services at 3, 4, 30, and 6 o'clock uh, on Tuesday and Christmas Eve. Just want to remind you at 3, 4, 30, and 6 o'clock. Those are all the same, so you can choose which one to come to, I'm sure, after you do your last-minute shopping out at the outlets, I'm sure. So uh, glad that you'll be a part of that, and I hope that you will be a part of that. I just want to welcome those of you who are joining us via our podcast. Thank you for listening in. Um, when you walked in today, if you're here in this room and you walked in today, you received notes. I want to draw your attention to those notes. We'll be walking through those this morning. And if you don't have a Bible, the scripture that we discussed today, a few different passages, will be on the screen. Also, if you're a person who wants to maybe not do the whole note thing and you want to get online, uh, I want to welcome you to join via your smartphone or device, whatever you have, um, to join our free Wi-Fi and get the notes there online. I don't know about you, but this time of year uh, makes me think a lot about family and a lot about growing up and uh, a lot of, of memories. Um, I turned 40 this year. Maybe that has something to do with it, um, but uh, it makes me think about memories growing up. And one of the 
very vivid memories that I have growing up is that my father would take us and we'd go to the circus every once in a while, not necessarily around Christmas time, but kind of Christmas season makes me think about those things. And dad would take us to the circus. A few years ago, um, I had the opportunity to take my kids to the circus and um, kids love the circus. They do. Um, They love it for the animals. You got the lions and the tigers and the elephants and you know, at some point in time in a good circus, you're going to have a guy or a gal on a motorcycle hanging upside down from, you know, a, a line, right? That's kind of the circus thing. The trapeze artists, circus are great. But one thing that I love about the circus is at the beginning of the circus, the whole tent, the whole room goes dark, doesn't it? It goes completely pitch black. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's a drum roll and a light that shines down from up high above the rafters down onto the floor of the circus, and there's a tent master that says something like, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, we welcome you to the circus. And I love that part. And as a kid, I always used to look up like, where's that light coming from? Where's that coming from? Where's the source of light? Where is it coming from? This is so cool. And he introduces the whole day, the whole uh, event down on the floor of the circus there in the ring and he does it and the thing that brings him in that ushers it in is thousands of watts of light brought down on a focal point on the floor and i love that growing up i love that part of the circus and it kind of highlights the fact that light ushers in things that are amazing things that are different things that are exciting light ushers in What is significant? And it's true of a circus. It's true of anything that you see that might be performance-oriented. But I want you to hear this this morning. Light ushered in the everlasting light of Jesus Christ. Light was the thing that introduced Jesus to the world. And today we're going to begin with the story of the Magi, with the star that shone brightly there in that day and in that age to introduce Jesus to the whole world. We're in this series called Everlasting Light, and we've discussed several different things throughout this series. We began with the fact that God used Jesus, his only son, and he brought his son into this world to bring light to a very dark world. And so Jesus, the everlasting light, he won over darkness, and darkness is always overcome when light enters. And that's what God did by sending Jesus. He sent him in the world to save each and every one of us, all of humanity, you and and I, from our sins. And so God sent Jesus to be a light world. And no matter where you are on the, the whole idea of Christianity or where you are kind of on your faith journey or your religious journey, one thing that I think we can all agree on is that we live in a dark world. There's a lot of darkness that surrounds the world. And so we live in this world that's dark. And so we talked about that in week one, how light came to to shine in the darkness. In week two, we talked about how light came in to shine on our past. And so many of us have a past, a a, a life kind of before Jesus or maybe before we've kind uh, kind of turned our life around that we're, you know, we're maybe not proud of, that we might even be embarrassed of. And the fact that Jesus came to this world means that he came to shine the light on our past. But not only that, Jesus came to shine a light on our future. And for those of you who are in here who have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have a future that's amazing. 
You have a future that's exciting. You have a future that's filled with light, not only in heaven one day when you die, but while you're here on this earth. You have a future, not because of anything that we can do for ourselves, but because Jesus Christ was the light of the world and God sent the everlasting light. Today, we kind of switch gears. We kind of turn things around, kind of turn the tables a little bit on what we've been talking about because we're going to be talking about what Jesus did and the effect that it has on us and therefore our responsibility as Christ followers to respond to Jesus being the everlasting light. Now, in week one, we kind of began with the premise, and I told you that we wanted to talk about everlasting light this year because I wanted us to focus on the light of Christ. And, and I told you a story that some of you um, weren't too happy with me telling because it may have ruined Christmas for you. And the story is, is that Jesus probably wasn't born on December 25th. And I'm sorry that I had to tell you that story, but I have to tell the truth, and it's probably true that Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. We don't know for sure back in the day that Jesus was born, the death of a person was much more celebrated. They celebrated their life much more than they celebrated their death, and so we don't know when Jesus was born. But because of different things that we know of from the Bible and different things that we can surmise, um, most theologians and most scholars believe that Jesus was probably born in the springtime or in the fall. So there was probably no snow when Jesus was born, I'm sorry to tell you. But it's interesting because in the early church days, back when the church was first starting, some of the early church fathers thought it would be a good idea for us to celebrate the fact that God sent light into this world around December 25th because for thousands of years prior to that, people celebrated the darkest day of the year, which is sometime between December 20th to about December 22nd. I don't know if you realize this, but yesterday was the darkest day of the year in the Northern Hemisphere. You realize that? It was the darkest day of the year. 11 minutes after noon yesterday um, was the shortest, darkest day of the year. Did you, did you see it? That's a joke. You'll get it later. I'm sorry. We didn't see it because it's the middle of the day, but it happened. The winter solstice happened 11 minutes after noon yesterday. And so the early church fathers, because there were so many people in the ancient day that were celebrating darkness, and because of that celebration of darkness, it led to pagan rituals, they thought it would be a good idea to celebrate Christmas sometime around December 25th. And so that's what we have as our traditional day, of course, of celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. Well, I disappointed you a few weeks ago by telling you that story. Probably disappointed a few of you now. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but there's one little aspect of the Christmas story that we kind of think of maybe in our tradition um, that is not necessarily the way that it really is. And that part of the Christmas story has to do with the Bethlehem star and the wise men. How many of you have nativity scenes in your house of some sort, hanging on a tree or in your living room or something? Of course, we have one outside here. Um, Sean, our son, made one at school the other day, made a little nativity scene that I think is about the coolest thing in the world. And at the nativity scene is Mary and Joseph, and there's usually some, some animals, that, and those things were accurate. And the baby Jesus, that's definitely accurate. Um, and he was born in, in a stable. He was born in a manger in a stable. That is all accurate according to the Bible. But there are usually three figures that are around a nativity scene, the wise guys, right? The wise men. And we usually surround our nativity scenes with these three wise men 
But what the Bible has to say about the wise men is, is that they probably weren't there the night that Jesus was born. I'm very sorry. You can throw stuff at me. It's really okay. You can send me email. You can just send it to Cody. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so anyway, that part of the Christmas story um, is not exactly what we as time has gone on and as tradition has gone on, believe that it's true. But it's a part of the Christmas story, part of the birth of Christ, the general first couple years of Jesus' Christ's life that is true. The timing may not be accurate as the way we think of it today, but it is true. And it's an important part, I believe, of the Christmas story when we're talking about everlasting lights. If you have your notes, we're going to dive into those notes this morning. Take a look at that first point on your notes the light of the Bethlehem star announced the light, Jesus, the everlasting light, entering the world in human form. The light of the Bethlehem star announced the light, entering the world in human form. Now, in telling you the real story, and we're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 2, in telling you the real story, the magi and the light, Please don't go home and go to your nativity scenes and take those three guys out of there, okay? Just celebrate it, have fun with it, because it is a part of kind of the whole story of Jesus' birth, but you can remember that the time frame isn't exactly right. Let's dive in and take a look at the one account that we have of the Magi from Matthew chapter 1. You can follow along with me. The verses will be on the screen. And I'm going to pause as we do this so we can study it and kind of find out what the Bible really says about Jesus and the Magi and the Bethlehem star. Verse 1 of Matthew chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Let's stop there for a moment. We're introduced to two different people here. First of all, we're introduced to King Herod. Now, King Herod, we might have this idea that he was the king over kind of the Roman Empire, but that's not really true. That There was a Roman emperor that we'll talk about in a moment, but he had put in place different kind of like governors over different areas that they called kings in that day. And King Herod was the king over Jerusalem. Now, he was um, a very uh, a re relentless and ruthless and aggressive politician. And he had a friend named Octavius that he kind of grew up with. And Octavius was uh, uh, someone who was in Rome, a man who was in Rome that had great political aspirations. And Herod kind of followed on his footsteps. And when Octavius became Caesar Augustus, the emperor of Rome, then he appointed Herod the king over all of Judea. And under Octavius's rule, or better known as Caesar Augustus's rule, it's interesting because he gave these kings a lot of leeway to do what they wanted to do. So Herod, this man who was this kind of aggressive, ruthless politician, he could basically do in Judea anything and everything that he wanted to do. And there was one thing about Herod that you need to know. He was ruthless, he was aggressive, but there was one thing about Herod that was very interesting, and that was is that Herod was very, very insecure. He didn't want anyone, he didn't want anyone being the ruler over his area of Judea. So verse 1 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, in the days of Herod the king, and he plays an important part in the story, behold, wise men come from the east to Jerusalem. Let's talk about the wise men for a moment. These were men, they were probably from Persia, which would have been 
depending on where it was in Persia, at the, at the very least hundreds of miles away and potentially thousands of miles away from Jerusalem. These were men that were considered magicians, but they weren't magicians in the way that we think of magicians today. They were a little bit more scholarly, and they were interested in the sciences. They were interested in how things happen, and they had a particular interest in the stars. And so if you ever hear that the wise men were magicians, they were a little bit more like astronomers, not astrologers, but they were a little bit more like astronomers, looking up to the skies and the universe to see what was going on. And so these men end up in Jerusalem during the time of King Herod. Presumably, they've heard about the king of the Jews, verse 2, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to what? Does that next word say? Worship him. Now, do you think this went over well with King Herod? This insecure, ruthless leader? that didn't want anyone else ruling in his area? Do you think it went over well that these wise men, and we, we have this picture of three, it could have been many more, it could have been a few less. Uh, well, we know it was at least two. So these men show up in Jerusalem, and they come to worship this one that's been born in the area. King Herod was outraged. Verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. Verse 4, he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them, these Jewish leaders, where the Christ was to be born. And the Jewish leaders, with all of their knowledge of the uh, prophets and all the knowledge of the Torah, the Old Testament that we have today, they said this. He inquired of them, where was the Christ to be born? They told him, in verse 5, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it was written by the prophet. He, they're quoting here a verse from Micah. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So he's concerned because these wise men show up and they want to worship this newborn king that they've heard about. And he's already concerned. Secondly, he gathers his advisors together, people who knew the Jewish law, knew the Jewish rule. And by the way, Herod was probably not Jewish. Uh, most people think he, he was uh, Arabic. And so he asked them, where is this baby to be born? Where is this one to be born? And they say that he's supposed to be born from Jerusalem. I believe in this moment, Herod was trying to find out if it was maybe him that they had come to worship. And when they said, no, this one would be born in Bethlehem, in Judea, all of a sudden he was more enraged because he realized this king that they came to worship was not him. Verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. He wanted to know more about the star that they had seen in the sky. Verse 8. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Do you think that's what Herod really had in mind? No, not at all. Not at all. Verse 9. After listening to the king, they, the magi, went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Now, there's a couple things that we know from this passage that we know that these wise men probably came after Jesus 
was born sometime after he had probably been moved out of the stable and into a home or into a building of some kind. The first one is the use of the word child. It's interesting here uh, in, in Luke, in Luke chapter 2, the author of Luke uses a word describing Jesus that's brephos, and it literally means an infant that's either not been born yet or one that has not yet weaned off his mother. But here in Matthew, Matthew uses a different word. The Greek word that he uses is piden. And piden is a completely different word. It's a word that means a pre-puberty child that has some type of endearing quality. <laughs> so teenagers, we know it wasn't a teenager, right? <laughs> I was a teenager, I can say that, okay? So we know that the child that Matthew is speaking of here is not an infant, but it's a baby. And so we know that the Magi came later. But the other part that's very interesting is, is the use of the word star. This star that the Magi were attracted to, this star that led them to Jesus, probably in Nazareth, possibly in Bethlehem at this point in time in Bethlehem, this star that Matthew talks about when he uses the Greek word for star, do you know what it literally means? It literally means star. It's a celestial being. Now, why is that important? That's important because some people will read this account and they will try to make up that there was some type of um, celestial anomaly that can be um, used to kind of explain what happened here. You know, that the planets aligned and that there was some maybe kind of supernova that happened during that day and age and that this wasn't the hand of God leading these men to Jesus, but this was just some sort of astronomical anomaly. But Matthew uses a very simple word, star. It was a normal star. Now, maybe it was some kind of astronomical anomaly, but it would have been something that God did. And we know that because when the Magi, when those wise men came to Jerusalem to talk to Herod, then they went on to Bethlehem, and that star would have led them, and the star would have moved from north to south. And we know from astronomy, we know from science that our planet, the way that we see the stars, they move from west to east every time, all the time. So the fact is, is that God was at work using light to introduce these men to light. Are you with me? God was at work. And even if it was some sort of celestial anomaly, it was God providing that because there's no way that this star could have led them from north to south. God was introducing, I want you to capture this, God was introducing the everlasting light to people of the world by using the Bethlehem star, we have it on our walls here. We have it in our nativity scenes. We see it depicted in movies and in plays. God used light to introduce the light to the world. It's important for those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, and we're going to take a look at two other points here in a minute to find out why, but I want to stop for a moment and talk to those of you who may be skeptical and who may have a hard time understanding the whole purpose of the Christmas story, the whole purpose of why God sent Jesus and did God even send Jesus. 
if you really believe this passage to be true, if you really believe this passage in Matthew to be true, then you have to believe that God did something that was divine just in introducing Jesus to the world. Never mind bringing him to this earth. And so my question for you and my challenge for you today is have you met the light that came to this earth for you? Have you met that light? The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so whoever believes in him might have eternal life. And all it takes is for you to move from that place of doubt to belief. To a place where you're skeptical, to a place of trusting. And if you're in here today and you're struggling with that, I want to encourage you to stop by our guest service desk. There's a book that we've provided all throughout this series. And it will help you walk through what the Bible says about the Christmas story. It's called The Case for Christmas by a man named Lee Strobel who had to come to his own personal faith through understanding that the Bible is true when he himself doubted. I want to encourage you to stop by and visit our guest service desk so that you can meet the light that came to this earth. Well, what does this have to do? What is this Bethlehem star and the Magi, these wise men coming to visit Jesus as a child have to do with those of us who are Christ followers? Take a look at the second and third point this morning. As Christ followers, we are children of the light, so we reflect Jesus to everyone around us. The Apostle Paul is speaking to a church. He's writing to a church in Ephesus in Ephesians 5.8. And it's interesting what he says. I want to take a look at this verse. Ephesians 5.8. He says this. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. In the Lord. And then he goes on to say, Walk as children of the light. You see, for those of you who are Christ followers here today, and for some of you, this is going to be maybe shocking news, maybe surprising news. For some of you, this is just kind of a reminder that you're light. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, doesn't matter how long ago that was, at that point in time, you turn from darkness to light. You switched gears from a place of being completely and utterly in the dark to being in a place where you, as Paul says here, he says, you are light in the Lord. He doesn't say that you walk into light in the Lord, although that's true, but he says you are light in the Lord. Do you get the impact of that? Christ follower, that we actually reflect Jesus Christ. We are reflectors of the everlasting light. Cynthia and I have always been fascinated. I, I've always been fascinated, and Cynthia too, with lighthouses. I, I love lighthouses. Um, when I was a kid growing up, I spent a lot of time at my grandparents, and they lived on the Anclote River, which is kind of an intercoastal waterway that, in Florida that dumps out into the Gulf of Mexico. 
and they were about a mile away from this, this state park that had a lighthouse. And I remember at night, it was really dark there. There weren't too many city lights around that area at that time. And um, every once in a while, you know, you'd see that light flash around on a real clear night. We could see it kind of coming in from behind their house. Loved lighthouses. Cynthia and I, when we went on our honeymoon, we um, went to a place called Newport, Rhode Island, and there was this place that we stayed that had this lighthouse, and we, we loved the fact that there was a lighthouse there and the meaning of that. Of course, we have our lighthouse on Hilton Head. But it's interesting, the way that lighthouses were originally designed is they were designed that there was in the middle of the lighthouse, now they've changed over time because of technology and electronics, they've changed over time, but originally there was something that lit up that lighthouse, but the light wouldn't shine that far. So scientists came up with a whole prism system and lens system and mirror system that would take that little light that was in the center of that lighthouse and shine it out into the sea and into the water so that ships sailing at night could be drawn to the light. We do the same thing, Christ follower. That's what we're supposed to do. We are supposed to, with our lives and with our words, we are supposed to reflect the everlasting light. It's what Paul says, for one, one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of the light. So my question for you today is, do people see you as a reflection of the light by the way you live your life? When they look at you and when they hear you and when they observe your lifestyle, do they go, oh yeah, I know that person. That person is a follower of Jesus Christ. Or does your life reflect very little of the change that happened in you? Does your life, when people see you, is it a reflection of the light by the way that you live your life? And lastly this morning, we are the light of the world, so we should always be shining brightly. God caused us because he sent the everlasting light into this world. He allowed us to walk in the light. He allowed us to be reflectors of that light, just like a lighthouse reflects and then magnifies the light out far away from the center point. He allowed us to do that, but we who are part of the light of the world, we should shine brightly, always. Jesus, I love the Sermon on the Mount. You can take a look at it. It's in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. It's a fantastic message that Jesus gave to his followers. The first part of it begins with the Beatitudes, and then he quickly switches from the Beatitudes. And take a look at verse 14 here. He says this, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Now, hang on for a moment. John said that Jesus was the everlasting light. But Jesus then turns around and tells his followers, you are the light of the world. Paul says that we then reflect the light of Jesus. I want you to hear something this morning, Christ follower. You and I, we're supposed to be reflectors of Jesus Christ. If we have salvation in him, if we have that new life in Christ, then it's our job to go out and be the light of the world. Jesus says that in verse 14 of Matthew chapter 5. You are the light of the world. And then he gives two analogies. I love this. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. 
Verse 15, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the ancient day, there were, there were several reasons why cities were built up on a hill. The first and foremost really was to protect that city from its enemies, and often there was some sort of, of fence or some sort of wall that was built around that city. But one of the reasons that they built cities up on a hill in the ancient day was to provide light at night for the surrounding areas so that if you were a traveler, if you were on a journey, you knew where to go. Listen, Christ follower, there are people all around you and I. They don't know where to go. We may be the only person that reflects the light of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says here we have that responsibility. He also gives the analogy of a lamp and a lampstand. And in the ancient day, to light up a whole house, they would take a lamp, they would take a, a candle or a lamp of some sort and put it high up where it would light up the whole room. And darkness immediately would be filled with light. And Jesus here says, don't hide it. Take a look at verse 15. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. 16, verse 16, he says this, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. A city set on a hill, a lamp presumably put in a dark house up on a stand that shines brightly for the whole house to be lit. You see, this is what Jesus told us to do. It's a mandate that Christ followers have to be a light. This is our mission, church. It's our mission. And as difficult and as scary sometimes as it is, as counterintuitive and counterculture as it may be, Jesus gave us the mandate to be a light in the world. And so my question for you today is, are you a bright light or a dim shadow for others to see? Are you a bright light or are you a dim shadow to others? Do you hide the fact that you have faith in Jesus Christ or do you let it shine? Do you let your life and your words shine so that you're passionately with your life and your words sharing the message of Christ? And I want to end with a key question this morning, and that is this. What can I do differently this Christmas to brightly reflect the light that's in me? What can I do differently this Christmas to brightly reflect the light that's in me? I want to let you know that this is not just difficult for you, but it's also difficult for me. It is difficult for us to engage in spiritual conversation, isn't it? Sometimes we have the tendency to kind of huddle in in our Christian cultures and Christian communities, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. We talked about life groups this year. We talked about a lot of ways that we can grow in our faith, but I believe what Jesus gives here is a mandate that we should have friends and that we should reach into areas where we engage with those who are living in darkness. And it's not easy, is it? I was talking with a friend recently, and he's a pastor, and we were talking about the fact that um, we as pastors need to do a better job of getting into different communities where we're reaching out to people, that we know people 
who may not have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. It's our tendency, you know, we go to conferences and we go to this, we go to that, we're in with our staffs, we're, we're meeting with other Christians, and we have the tendency to hide our faith. Maybe not intentionally, but maybe accidentally. And I think that's probably true of most of us. So my question for you today is what will you do differently this Christmas to brightly reflect the light that's in you? Listen, it's not your job to save people. That's God's job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. It was Jesus' job to come and to live for 33 years and then to die on a cross and to rise again three days later so that we could have faith in Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit's job to draw people to him. But you know what? It's our job to be his representative while we're here on earth, isn't it? What are you going to do differently this year to be a light in your world? We have 45, 48 hours uh, until Christmas Eve. And we have three Christmas Eve services to choose from. I want to challenge you. What are you going to do differently this year to bring a friend? Not just someone who already knows the truth, although that's nice. But if that's all we have in here on Christmas Eve, we're just telling the story that we all know. We're sharing it with each other. Why not share it with someone who needs it? We, we live in a neighborhood where we have about 20 homes on our street. And I'm just like you. It's very difficult. I, I, I work a lot and we have kids stuff a lot and all my neighbors are busy. Even though they're retired, all of them, they're all busy and retired. And so it's hard to get to know them. We drive in our garages, we go in our homes, our garage goes down, and it's hard to get to know people. But Cynthia and I make an effort, and our family makes an effort at Christmas time especially to invite our neighbors to come on Christmas Eve. And I wanted to tell you how we did it, not to brag. Believe me, I could do a much better job on this. But I wanted to tell you what we do each year just to give you an idea of maybe what you can do over the next 48 hours to do it differently this year. Each year we uh, bake cookies and brownies and all kind of fun stuff. And um, everybody gets involved in this. And we started last night on some brownies and we're going to finish it up today with cookies. And we put a little tin, actually this is a plastic one, but we put a little tin together and we go and deliver these to our neighbors. And it usually ends up that I don't know, four or five of the neighbors are home and we end up having decent conversations with them and invite them to Christmas Eve service. And we always attach one of these cards that we give you guys. It says Everlasting Light on the front and on the back it has our service times. And then we as a family pray for our neighbors and pray that they would come to Christmas Eve service where they're going to hear about Jesus. Now, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a tin of cookies. Maybe it's just a conversation with someone that God's been laying on your heart that as I've talked this morning, you've been thinking of. Maybe it's a family member that you need to have a conversation with. Students, maybe it's another student that you know needs to hear about Jesus. I want to encourage you. And we're going to be talking about this more at the beginning of the year about being a light in our world. But this Christmas season, what are you going to do? What's your mission over the next 48 hours going to be to invite people to be a part of Christmas Eve where they will hear the life-changing message of Jesus Christ? What are you going to do differently this Christmas to brightly reflect the light that is in you? Father God, I thank you so much for what you did on the cross, 
for what you did by sending yourself in human form to this earth. And God, may we not be plagued by guilt, but God, may your words that we are supposed to be like a city that is set on a hill and a lamp on top of a lampstand and that we are to not we are to not hide our faith our belief our trust in you behind closed doors god that we're supposed to let that shine you came you broke darkness you came into this world to be light in a dark world and god not only that but you shine on our past you shine on our future God, you shine in our hearts. We are light because you are the everlasting light, the very essence of light. And God, this Christmas 2013, I pray that you would challenge us, that your Holy Spirit would prompt us to know what we need to know, what we need to do in these next 48 hours to reach out and to be a light in this dark world. Help us, Father God, not driven by guilt, not driven by anything that I say, but God, may we be in tune with your Holy Spirit to the point where we walk over these next couple days doing exactly what you want us to do. Oh God, you gave us the best gift that we could ever have in Jesus Christ by saving us from our sins. God, may that fact drive us to be passionate about sharing it with others. Help us to be a light this Christmas. And God, may many, many people in this room in 48 hours accept you as their Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. A few months ago, when I talked to Cynthia about kind of the direction we were heading in terms of what we're going to be talking about during the Christmas season, um, she took to writing a song that was based on the everlasting light. So a few months back, she wrote some words down, and she got together with some of the other band members, and you guys have put together a song that I believe is a good anthem for us to have as we go out from here, kind of a rallying cry of what we should be doing with the everlasting light that's inside of us. As she sings and as the band plays, as they sing, Listen to the words and allow them to penetrate and pierce your life today. Would you stand with us? Light has come to break the dawn.
you ladies and band. That was awesome. I'm kind of a proud husband. <laughs> I want to thank you for being here today. Uh, just want to remind you again, 3 o'clock, 4.30 or 6 o'clock Christmas Eve. Invite someone. Let that song be your anthem as you do it. And I uh, just want to encourage you to do that. Also, want to let you know that a week from today, we will not be having services, normal services. Go to our website. There'll be a church at home guide where there'll be a video and study questions. want to encourage you to be a part of that on the uh, few days leading up to New Year's. And so next week, we will not be having normal services, but you can go online, check that out. Also, if you're part of the Hilton Head Island Community Church family, just want to encourage you to give. You can give online or you can give as you leave today. Merry Christmas, everyone. I will see you on Christmas Eve. <laughs>